I think that was my biggest fear was, is this going to taint all the good that he did, the good that he is and was? Is it going to now cast this dark shadow over all the incredible things he did in his life? And that is the tragedy of this type of, of death is that there is this different shadow about it. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Well, hello to everyone listening today. Thank you for joining us this morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time it is you are listening. For us, it happens to be morning. Uh, my guest today is actually hiding in her closet to record <laughs> because everybody's sleeping in her house because we're in two different time zones here. Um, so my guest today is my friend Amber Einstein, and she is a mom of four, an entrepreneur, a wife, a daughter, a sister, and friend to many. We uh, happened to meet, we met briefly through the health and wellness company we're uh, both partnered with, but we actually met was at a women's event called the Bliss Project. Um, and it was in California, and a, an amazing event. So that's when we actually got to chat and connect. And I'm just so excited to have you on, Amber. Amber, are you, you there? Yes, <laughs> okay. thank you so much. So we were just talking before we recorded that you were waiting till the garbage man would go by so that there would be no background sound. You're hiding in the closet so that everybody could still sleep in your home because it's 7.30 right now. Probably. Oh, what, what time in the morning is it yeah, for you right yeah, now? Yeah, it's 7.30. <laughs> so, so we are, we, so we're like, yeah, sneaking in this podcast here to try to not wake anybody up in the family. So I appreciate you taking that time out of your day and carving it out to come on and be able to share your story. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I'm so glad you are. I'm so glad you accepted this invitation. And I know that when we met at that Bliss Project in California, how many was he? What years was that? 2017? Was that, I do you think, that think yeah, right? I think it's been three years ago. Three years ago. Okay. So um, we chatted briefly and we had both, you know, had been, had experienced, uh, a death in our family. My mom had passed away just a few months before, and we connected actually a little bit about that while we were sitting there. And so when I was going to record this podcast, I was like, Oh, Amber's gotta be one of the people I interview. <laughs> <laughs> so I, am, I think we I'm kind just... of dove in head first. I think we didn't even like, Oh wait, what's your name? Hold on. Let's yes. Just you're so right. Yeah. Isn't it so funny? Yeah, you're right. I knew more about that aspect than even mm -hmm. knowing the, where you lived, how many kids you mm -hmm. had. I knew more about that, <laughs> which is weird, right? Like how 
is how sometimes you can get to know somebody so much better by going straight mm. to some of these really hardy, meaty, mm-hmm. tough moments in life. Um, and even though you may not know the other little, you know, the, the fluff, the other stuff that happens sure. in our life. Sure. So yeah, I appreciate you. I think you know when you can connect to somebody deeply very quickly. And um, mm. I think those of us who like to connect at a deeper level, we kind of we kind of can spy each other out really quickly. <laughs> and so then when like we, a sixth sense, a seventh yes, sense. How many well, which sense yes. would that be? Seventh? And so then when we do, it often is a really deep dive. And I think because we both had experienced that relatively yeah. um recently Recent, yeah. for both of us, mm-hmm. it was pretty fresh. And I think it's always a little bit of a breath of fresh air for those of us who do like to um express ourselves that, you know, with some of these things that we go through to Mm -hmm. have somebody to do that with, because these are very tender, sensitive um, topics. Absolutely. And when you talk to somebody that relates to it, Mm. there, even if, even if it's not the same type of loss, there's just a different under uh, Mm -hmm. understanding. You know what I mean? There's a, like, there's an empathy that's already there because the other person has experienced something similar. Yeah. 100%. Right. So that, yeah, it, so you feel like, yeah, you feel a little bit uh, less uh, guarded to be able to share how you feel or the, mm. or the struggles you've gone through because that other person can empathize with what you're going through. So um, how about we dive into that? So what was one of the most recent and more, tough uh, grieving experiences that you've gone through in the last years? Yeah. So, you know, when I was thinking about grief in general, I was really thinking that I have an experience to a lot of grief over my lifetime, a lot of loss, death type grief over my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Certainly all of us who are parents and uh, human beings have other types of grief for sure. And I know you cover that on your podcast. But I would say that um, I really have experienced a lot from a pretty young age um, when I go back and think. But the more recent was um, the death of my brother, uh, my brother, Chris. So he and I are just right around two years apart, two, two and a half years apart. And um, so that's been the most recent. And that's the one that, yeah, when we met in 2017 that that he's who had passed away just recently when we when we met um and would you say that so would you like to share with the listeners was it a sudden death was it something that you guys had prepared for um what were the circumstances around his passing yeah so so my brother took his life and it took me a while to be able to say those words. I'm just going to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Uh, that Those are the taboo words that in our culture, we really struggle um, to find meaning around. We struggle to define. <laughs> we struggle to even know how do we feel about it. Um, yeah. So I'll just give you a little bit of backstory if I could take you back to that Absolutely. day. Because Absolutely. that really helps me to kind of remember some of the things. But Um, and, and my brother's passing, um, in this way was not my first experience. I will say that with, um, somebody taking Mm -hmm. their life. So we, I'd had uh, a family friend when I was a young teen, uh, maybe 11 ish, I want to say, or 12 years old, um, take their life. And so I had experienced it from the outside, not as a family member, but from a pretty young age. 
And um, so, and then again, when I was in high school, so it wasn't my first rodeo, but it is never the same as somebody you're mm. deeply connected to, obviously, like in any, any deck. So I actually, when I found out, I was um, at a fireside chat for the youth in my congregation at church. And I was one of the youth leaders. So I was actually there with two of my teenagers. So I have three teenagers and an almost 12-year-old currently. And I was at this fireside chat and it was on a Sunday evening. And I just, I had my phone near me, but it wasn't super close, but it was near me enough that my phone just really like, I was being messaged a lot, which doesn't normally happen in my real world on a Sunday night. <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> I remember being like, weird, why does everybody seem to need to get a hold of me right this minute? And so I had um, another, a message that had come through from my stepdad who he's just a wonderful soul. And he said, um, and he's just a tender, I got a, anyway, he's just a very gentle, tender kind of person. <laughs> he said, mm -hmm. are, are you busy? Cause he had tried to call me and I thought that was kind of strange. And so then he texted me, which I thought was even more strange. <laughs> I was like, something's going on. Yeah. That's, said, that's the busy. moment when you're like, yeah. Especially if it's not somebody that normally calls you or texts you Correct. at certain times. Yeah. Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You start so already building up that that anxiety in you. Well, yeah. Did you? So, yeah. Well, yeah, because he said, are mm -hmm. you busy? And I just said, well, I'm at this fireside chat with the kids. And, and he said, okay, well just call me when you're done. So then I was like, oh, okay, well, mm -hmm. it's not that urgent. And I was like, okay, well then my sister messaged me and I don't remember what she said, but it was something like, how are you doing? And I was like, what? Oh, then my dad oh. called actually. I saw, cause at this point I have the phone in my hand and I'm really like curious as to what in the world's going on. And I have a lot that goes on in my family from day to day. My, my siblings and, and parents, we've had a lot of um, big family life things over the years. And mm -hmm. so for something to be going on, if you will, wouldn't not, be unusual. There's mm -hmm. a fair mm -hmm. amount of addiction. We've had a lot of things that we've coped with in our family. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I was like, okay, what's going on? And then when, my, but when a phone call started to come through, um, and it that from my own dad. And I was like, okay, something's going on. I, I, it was like, my heart kind of sank. I knew it was big. I just didn't know what it was. And so I just told the kids, Hey, I'm going to go take this call. I wasn't very far from the door um, of where this chapel was. I wasn't very far. And so I walked out the second I got outside those doors, I, I answered the phone. And then my dad, you know, I wish I could, I, I, maybe there's a reason I don't remember the exact words he used, but he just told me I, we were on the phone for maybe, oh gosh, 20 seconds at the most. Um, and I just remember walking to the end of this hallway and there wasn't really anybody out there. There was one person who I knew really well, um, who was out kind of in the vicinity and kind of saw me, but probably didn't think much of it until I kind of sank to the floor. Uh, like I can't describe it. I wasn't like laying on the floor. I was in a dress, but I kind of like squatted down almost like I, yeah. Like, like I just punch in the stomach oh, kind of thing that just throws oh, you down. And, oh. There wasn't even, I didn't even, I couldn't even catch my breath. I just remember kind of sinking down. Um, and I was just kind of, I hung up the phone and you know, anybody who's been through any grief, but really a traumatic grief, a traumatic death, you don't really know. It's kind of like birth. Like you don't know like what's going to come out. And we'll talk about that as we go forward. But that was the first moment where I, I don't know if I cried 
right away. I know I let out some kind of a noise. I don't know what enough that this person kind of came over to me and he wasn't a stranger. It wasn't like a super close, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like a family mm-hmm, member. Mm-hmm. And here, yeah, this yeah. is the first person that I'm going to deliver this news to. Yeah. And bless his heart. I mean, you could tell he was just trying to kind of console me, but like, what do you say? Right. So there were some mm-hmm. steps outside this door. I was kind of near a, like a door kind of. And so there were some steps out there and it was dark, right? It was nighttime. And so I was sitting on these steps with this news kind of, he was there for a minute. And then eventually I kind of gave him permission to leave because I knew he didn't really know what to say. And I didn't really want anything said in that moment. And Mm -hmm. I was just in this like shock. You're still processing it. Yeah. You're still even just processing what you've just heard. Yeah. So I'm sitting here on the steps and just clearly crying, completely shocked, like don't even know what to think. And I feel like up until this point in my life, I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot. Um, And because of the nature of some of the dynamics of my family, this wasn't something I'd never thought about. It wasn't like I'd never thought like somebody in my family could take their life um, or could die. These are things that I'd actually thought about often enough, but nobody, it's just like birth, right? Nobody is ever prepared for those moments. And so... So I think there was maybe 30 minutes left of this um, fireside chat. And there's like a hundred youth there. It wasn't like, you know, a few of us. There was oh. a lot of people there. And yeah, so and then the, parents, the parents just drop off the kids. It's not like you could just tell them, go to your parents. They, they, they get picked up later. Well, Is yes, and I was. Well, yes, but I was there with my own kids. So in my yes, mind, I'm already you. devising a plan. I'm already, this is so interesting how as parents, um, it's kind of like when you have an accident, everything slows down. I felt like everything <laughs> slowed down and I'm planning, how am I going to get mm. my children home and not tell them what has just happened? Mm. And um, I kind of, in those 30 minutes, I, I, this is a true story. I kind of pulled it together. And my two older, they weren't older at the time, right? My son, who's now 17, was 13. And then my daughter was 14. And so they end, they can't figure, I, they said, you know, kind of, I'm sure they're asking me like, what, how, you know, like, where did you go? Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember, honestly, what I said. I just kind of acted like we were okay. And they got in the car and we went home. I literally got them to bed. <laughs> My wow. other two wow. were already in bed. My husband was asleep because he w- wakes up really early in the morning for work. So he had no idea. And I just sat with this burden for a little bit. And, um, my mom had recently moved to my city. That's the first time I lived close to her in like 20 years ish. And we decided to meet up at my mom's house. And so we did. So we go to my mom's. So went, when everybody's asleep, uh-huh. everybody's sleeping, you leave, you leave the house to your mom's house. Yeah. yeah. And That's my mom okay. lives a couple of miles from me. So she's very close. Okay. And it was like, I'd been holding this thing in for the last you know, mm-hmm. hour or so. And, you know, it was kind of like I couldn't get the kids to bed quick enough because I really needed to go figure out what in the world just happened to my world. And so we, I got over to my mom's house, which was really hard, right? Because it was the first, like all of us being together and kind of talking about it. And my sweet mom, who has truly endured a lot in her lifetime, I mean, a lot, more than any mother really should with her children in her own life. And I remember my mom said, what are we going to tell people? Mm. And that really just hung in the air for about three milliseconds. 
And then I, everybody just kind of was sitting there and it was a couple of my sisters, my mom and my stepdad and me. And, um, cause I have five siblings, but not everybody was there, but there was, most of us were there. And I, I said, we're going to tell people the truth. We're going to tell people the truth. Um, and you know, when I think back, like as a mother and knowing what my own mother has been through, I, I just think in that moment, it was like another way to protect her child. She and my brother were very close. They spoke on the phone uh, there. I mean, there was a period of time when they probably talked on the phone more than once a day. Um, and she, she said to me, I think I must've asked her like, well, of course we're going to tell people the truth. And she said, this is when she really kind of started to cry. And she said, I don't want people talking about my son. And I, I think in that moment, you know, I'm a mother, but I'm also experiencing this as a sister and as a daughter, like watching it kind of in third person. Mm-hmm. And I could kind of feel feel her like she had watched him go through so much in his life and she was so close to him and there wasn't very much in his life he didn't share with her even all the all the hard parts she knew mm-hmm. we all knew we were very close in that way and so we really did know this wasn't a huge surprise if you will um in that way but it's always of course a surprise but it's still I just, a surprise yeah of course yeah. of course but mm-hmm. I just remember my sweet mother just sitting there and just even in his death, she was so worried about what people would say, what they would think, how they would react, what kind of things people would talk about. Um, and so I, there was just such a tender moment that really was such a human moment that anybody could relate to if they had been in that situation. What what you said, like it just struck me in that moment too, because it's like protecting his dignity and his honor, you know, after like the what what her words were that like I don't Mm. want anybody talking about my son and and I wonder if that's the reason that it's so taboo to talk about suicide Mm. because of the fact that then um people are trying to protect because of the fact that there's a taboo then there's like oh are they gonna then say that there's something wrong or that we didn't do something or that this you know there's just so many uh factors around it that uh that I wonder if that is why it's, yeah, like, I don't mm. know. It's just, it's one, it, it is, you're right. It's one of those things we don't talk. I mean, I, I think I told you my, my uncle um, took his life as well. But um, so, but I, I don't remember too many of the details. I know my mom just told us, but I don't know in terms of family and in the city that they lived in, like if people shared, I don't know the details because mm. I wasn't there. I was in another country, but. Well, the truth is. is that's part of the humanity of life is that you don't really have control over that. Um, yeah. We like to think we have control over all mm-hmm. those things, but we really don't have control over how mm-hmm. people are going to react, what they're going to say, exactly. even in your own family, right? This isn't just mm-hmm. quote unquote, those people out there. This is even in your own family, right? Because everybody, as you know, so well, grieves so differently. And that was very true also in my family. Um, but in that moment, it was just a very human moment. And when I look back on it with some perspective, as I've processed this over the last four years, you know, I just, I think about, um, there's a lot of decisions that we make in life 
that don't end our life, that are really bad decisions, that are hard decisions, decisions that if we could take back, we would. The difference between those types of decisions and a decision that you could make that could end your life is that you're kind of immortalized in that way. And I think that's the biggest fear, at least uh, let me speak just for myself. I think that was my biggest fear was, is this going to taint all the good that he did, the good that he is and was? Is it going to now cast this dark shadow over all the incredible things he did in his life? And that is the tragedy of this type of, of death is that there is this different shadow about it. Um, I always know if somebody has lost somebody to suicide. I shouldn't say always, but I would say my accuracy is about 99%. I'm usually pretty spot on. I can spot it a mile away, um, especially like if people are posting on social media. This just happened to me about three or four days ago. Somebody that I knew posted about losing um, somebody. and And because of what she did say and because of what she didn't say, what she didn't. It, I knew Sometimes it's of what you don't it's say. It's more what That's you don't so say. That's so clear. Sometimes, yeah, it's what is not said that sometimes ends up picking up too, right? And, and I or knew it right away. Or you the word? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just knew it. No, it's both. It's, it's typically the mm-hmm. what you don't say. It's typically that all of the mm-hmm. things are left out. There wasn't a long battle with cancer. There wasn't mm-hmm. a car accident. Because even other tragic mm-hmm. deaths, we talk about on some mm-hmm. level. We don't want to talk about this. It is so bitterly painful. Um, and there's so much judgment. There's so much shame in our culture around it um, that we don't want to talk about it. And so I think it's interesting. I've done a lot of work on myself over the last, you know, however many, 45 <laughs> years. Um, but I think that there was a lot of truth that was pouring out of me that night when my mom said, what are we going to tell people? And when I said the truth, I knew intuitively that it would be so painful, but that it would um, be freeing if we could just right out the gate, just talk about it. Mm -hmm. So that was that night, you know, and then fast forward, I don't know really what you want to talk about as far as like the whole process of the whatever all that or or not I mean well whatever you want to talk about but like I but in terms of like so that was I I, I'm saying I I watch every little bit of story you say I create this movie in my head so Mm -hmm. I'm like I I saw you leave the home the kids were sleeping husband was sleeping Mm -hmm. I'm imagining even just those (laughs) to that two mile drive to you for Mm -hmm. you for from your house to your mom's house all mm-hmm. on your own with this truth it mm-hmm. just sinks in with me because it could it could feel like eternal you know um so i'm you know so then you're there then you get back home at what point then do you tell your husband when you well, get back home like how did that pan out when you got back home your husband your kids yeah so the kids that? the kids were asleep and so i wasn't like gonna wake them up right there was something right in my right right mom. when they yeah when yeah, they came there was, back like of a There was something, it's so interesting. I want to go back for two seconds because there was something in my mom brain. It's so funny how we want to protect our children. Mm -hmm. And I am a, I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot and my kids have because of that. Mm -hmm. So we spent a year foster parenting two of my nephews when my kids were um, younger 
a little bit younger mm-hmm. and they were their ages. And so they've seen, like, we've had a really stable, happy home. Honestly, I've been married for over 20 years to still my best friend. We were best friends before we ever dated and we still are. We have a really great relationship. He is my person. He is my, um, I don't have a female friend closer to me than he is to me, which then, is maybe a little unusual. I don't know if it is that, or isn't, wow. but, but that, yeah, we well, just yeah, are really, really amazing. close. And so um, but going back to the kids and I'll get back to um, him and my husband in just a second. I just remember thinking, I don't want them to go to bed thinking about this. It's so funny the mm-hmm. way we make up little reasons and stories in our mind for how we <laughs> no, do. But it's again, things. the protected, but it's yes. a, you see here, you were protecting just like yes, your mom 100%. was protecting your brother when she also yes, said, yes, I don't want people. It's like that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. so I, so I just kind of, so that was my reasoning. Well, anyway, so mm-hmm. I, I eventually at some point, I want to say it was in the middle of the night, I finally did climb into bed because I was sitting. Um, there's a little bit of a gap and I don't know where I was. I could have been downstairs just processing, praying. I don't really remember, to be honest with you, that part. I do remember mm-hmm. at some point climbing into bed like a blur. and uncontrollably just, I could not, like my intention was to wait till um, he woke up to tell him I didn't want to disturb his sleep. I know that sounds so crazy <laughs> because he was going to work the I mean, next wakes day. Up like, so I early to, yeah. in the morning that I just thought <laughs> yeah. I can bear this burden for a few more hours oh, oh, so he can her. sleep. I know, but right. This is, uh, I was I know, the, but I'm here. I, like, I'm like, I just want to reach over <laughs> and to and the Amber and like, literally I'm like, if I'm like, want to go back in time and like reach over and hug that Amber that was like, trying to hold it all together, you know? <laughs> oh, there's been lots of therapy since, so we could go back to that Amber. In the last four years, there's been lots of oh, inner, wow. inner, inner child and inner older adult work even. But anyway, yeah. but I, I, at some point, because he's always been my safe place, I crawl into bed and I can't, I don't like wake him up, but he wakes up from my like uncontrollable, just sobbing. And so then I tell him, which of course he is just, he loves my brother. We were actually neighbors with my brother for a number of years. Um, when our kids were a little bit younger, we lived in the same cul-de-sac and our front doors literally faced each other. We were that close on the block. Yeah. My brother was insistent that we would be neighbors um, during that time. Uh, yeah. (laughs) And so he was really close enough to my brother. He really, I mean, it was like a brother to him also. It wasn't just, Mm -hmm. you know, a looser relationship. And so, you know, we both just laid there and wept and, and, and what all, all of the things, right. All of the things. And so it was a really, it was hard. I mean, it was really hard, but I still hadn't told the kids. Um, the next day, um, we talked to the kids and this is so interesting. This is such a, there's so many weird things that kind of came out when I was thinking about this. Uh, somebody knew, so my, um, uh, Bishop, but kind of, you could say the pastor or the mm-hmm. whatever of my congregation, he did know he was in the building that night and, mm-hmm. um, he knew, and that was a real tender mercy. I call it for me, one of God's just total blessings, which anybody who's been through anything hard in their life, if they're aware, will realize there's so many blessings that flow yes. little tender mercies, just these tender experiences. I like that word, tender oh, mercy, that tender phrase, I'm writing mercies. it down right now. Yes. That wasn't my phraseology, but it was something I adopted and just those tender mercies. Um, mm-hmm. And 
there was lots and lots of those. And I, I was lucky and really grateful that I had done so much work on my own self over the years that I was really aware of those as they were happening often. And so that very first one was a friend of mine who I hadn't told that had found out probably, um, because mm-hmm. man does stuff spread so quickly, <laughs> especially in the yeah. age of social media. And so she yes. had at some time during the day, I don't even remember if I was home that following day, had brought over a plate of cookies And it's so interesting how we get these little inspirations to do things for people. And we don't realize sometimes how monumental they can be. And in that moment, those cookies kind of saved, saved me that it it sounds so interesting, but the kids got home from school and this plate of cookies was there. And, um, and so we kind of sat the kids down to tell them, but I was not ready to tell them all the details. I wasn't ready to tell them exactly how he died. I didn't know how to articulate it to my children. I was still mm-hmm. very much in protective mode. They weren't older, older. My oldest was only 14. And so I just, I didn't, there's not a manual for this, yes, right? Yes. There is no, no manual. There's not for a manual surviving. for death period. And then there's the, all exactly. the other. And then of course, like, how do you, how do you, how do you say yeah. it? You know, how do you tell your kids that their uncle took his life? Like how, there's no manual. And remember, we were neighbors with him and they were very close with him. And my one son is very, very, very close to my brother. Looks just like my brother. They have very similar mannerisms. They were always very close. Uh, My brother didn't have a child until a little bit later after me. And so he was kind of the cool single uncle. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody loved him. (laughs) He loved the kids. And so they were very connected to him. And I was so concerned about all all of it. I don't even, just all of it. Mm -hmm. And so, and I just, I wasn't even sure what I was doing and how I was making sense of all of it. And so it was like, I don't know how to help them also make sense out of this. Right. And we had lost, I had lost one of my dear friends just two months, almost to the day prior um, to losing my brother. And so they had already seen me go through grieving Grief. with a dear friend mm-hmm. um, who died of cancer. And I spent a lot of time with her and they, so they already had some really hard notions around this type of grief in a family because they saw, you know, their children now living without a mother. And so mm-hmm. they, we had already had some hard conversations around that. So I do feel like intuitively I was extra protective baby. And so, um, yeah, so we sat the kids down and we kind of talked to them a little bit and gave them very few details if you want to know the truth um, about how he died, which worked for a little while, right? Um, and then I had this plate of cookies. And so when they were still young enough, a couple of them were, you know, really young uh, children, four and five, four and six. And so then I could just say, oh, great. And I remember my young son saying, can I just like right after I kind of delivered the news, he broke this really hard, painful um, silence with, can I have a cookie? <laughs> and, and I know that sounds so crazy, but in the moment, it's like all these little things. Right. And so, so we were able to kind of break yeah. that tension a little bit because I had this, with the cookies, this, you know, yeah. beautiful plate of cookies that the this cookie sweet saved soul had the day. dropped off. Yeah. Kind of yeah, in that moment. It felt that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately though, that, uh, secret that I had was very short lived. Um, my son, who is very connected, I'll just say spiritually connected. They always had this interesting bond, uh, my son, my oldest son, and my brother. So much so that when my um, son was born, my brother would come over often and want to hold him and 
at that time, my husband was working in uh, like a swing shift. So he wasn't home, you know, until like 11 o'clock at night. And so my brother would come over and he'd sit and just hold him. And anyway, they just had a very tight bond. Always. They always did. And so my, without going into all the details, my son had grown curious as to what actually happened. So remember, he's 13 at the time. And he wanted to know like what actually happened. Cause he knew that I hadn't told him everything that I'd probably left some things mm-hmm. out at his age. And this was and within he like needed 48 that, hours. He needed the information and he needed that information for his own processing and yes, grief probably too. Absolutely. Like he kind of, even though the younger ones probably didn't for himself, he needed that. A hundred percent. And I can absolutely say, and I was not that person for him to get it from in that moment. Like in his eyes, he's watching me now grieve the sibling who has been at the time, like for years had been the closest sibling to me emotionally, if you want to call it that. Like my brother and I had a deep spiritual connection. And an age too, is he the, yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we're all pretty close in age, but Uh, He and I just, we shared a spiritual journey that I didn't share the same journey with my other siblings. And so we had connected at a deep level anyhow, um, from probably our twenties on. Um, And I was not um, in the dark at all about some of his challenges and struggles. You know, he was really open with those things. And so um, it was just a different place to be. And so I wasn't at a place to even I was really grappling with this loss was so monumental for me. It still is that I, I couldn't even get my head around it. And as anybody who has been through a death knows, then you kind of really quickly have to make a lot of decisions. And we did Mm -hmm. and plan a funeral and do all these things. So it's really easy to be very busy doing those things and, uh, and, and whatever. And so I just remember, um, not probably not being as available. And here's my sweet, amazing, gentle, tender son, not wanting in any way to add on any more grief to me. So he's certainly not going to pry. He's not going to dig because he's watching this unfold before his eyes with his own mother. And so he took it upon himself and, um, I was putting him to bed. It was the, probably the second or third night after my brother had passed and I was in his room and I knew he was having a hard time. And I was talking with him and he started to ask me very pointed questions. Mm. And they were questions that led me to know somehow in my inner knowing that he knew more than I thought he knew. He definitely knew more than what I had said. And I couldn't figure out where he learned it from, because I will be honest with you that during the first few days, I was very careful about because there was obviously lots of phone discussion with family and um, talking, you know, as we're planning things, et cetera. Um, I was very careful as to where I was having those conversations. And so I was pretty sure he hadn't actually heard me talking about it. So I just wasn't sure where he got his information. And so I finally said, okay, I know, you know, something, and I just need to know how much, you know, and where you found it out just so I can know, I want, I'm I'm willing to fill in all the gaps that you need. I just Mm -hmm. need to know what you already know. And, you know, he so was so sweet. He was really tearful and did not want to tell me. He was so afraid um, to to, uh, probably to to hurt me, I'm sure. And so then he said, well, I knew, like he lied to me at first, right? Because that's what we all do, right? So first he lied to me. uh, Like, I don't know, I don't know. And then finally I said, okay, I know you know things and it's okay that you know them. I just need to know what information, what gaps do you need me to fill in for you? And so he said, 
I knew that you didn't tell me everything and I needed to know. And so I went on the internet and I went searching. Mm. And because of the nature of my brother's suicide, and he didn't even live in California at the time, but because of the nature of it um, and where it had occurred, it was it was newsworthy and it was searchable, which I didn't, mm. it never even occurred to me to, to look it up or search about it. Maybe because I didn't grow up with the internet era, right? So it, yeah, it like wasn't my, kids, yeah. yeah, like my first thing wasn't, let me go Google this. Like I didn't want to Google it. I knew the details. I didn't need to go look it up. Even deeper, right? It, it didn't right. even occur to me that it would be there. It didn't, it just never occurred to me that it would have been something that would have been on the news or in the news or which where he lived it was. And that was another tender mercy that I didn't live there. I was so grateful I didn't have to see that played out at all ever in that way. And so, um, yeah, that was so interesting to me. And so he had looked it up. Well, then, of course, I had to know what he saw so I could know. And that was really hard. That was a hard thing to do was to actually give myself permission to search it so I could see what he saw. Because then that means you're seeing somebody else. Yeah, because you're reading somebody else's story about what happened to somebody that you are close to. And it's like a a third perspective, you know, point of view perspective, Mm -hmm. writing of what happened. Well, and it was so close to you. Yes, because you're seeing and I'm sure this is true for all news when people have anything tragic happen, where you're seeing it from a very clinical, like, here's just what happened. And I'm feeling it from every fiber of my being, every emotion, every heartache, (sighs) every, every, every good thing, like it's all of it. It was all, yeah. all of the things and, and trying to make sense out of it because, you know, in our culture, we're like, well, suicide is for those people, those people that do that mm-hmm. thing, as opposed to like, no, this is like my amazing brother yes, who wanted so desperately for us to be neighbors that he helped us with our down payment on a home we were really not ready for at the time. We told him mm-hmm. when he talked about these new homes being built. Um, this was obviously years and years ago now, but we said we're not quite ready. Like we're paying off some student loans and we were doing some things. And he said to me, how much money would you need to be able to get into this house? Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I mean. You had a huge so, heart. A so huge this is what they're, heart. This is yeah. the person they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so going back to my son. So now I have to deal with what is the, what are the facts? So now he's my one of four children who actually knows the facts and the details that even those minor details that I may not have shared at that time with any of my children um, at the time that they may just may not have been ready for. Or at least I thought that as a mother, and you know, and protective mode. It's like, how can I somehow help my children know what's going on and experience grief without it being full throttle? Mm. That was probably some of my like, you know, (laughs) intuitive, I don't know, under, like under all the crazy thoughts, this is my calm, right? Going, (laughs) "Mm, how can I plan this out so that, you know, I'm going to do the least amount of damage to these amazing kids with this uncle that they just adored. Right. And so, yeah, it just was, you know what, sorry to uh, take it take this from second from you, because this kind of scenario of what you're saying happens to us in all moments of life and parenting. Like we, not just when we're delivering these kind of news, we literally are all winging it because again, there's no (laughs) manual for parenting either. So every little single thing we do is like that. Like, okay, what did I, should I do this? And then afterwards we may say, yeah, maybe that was not the right way approach, but Uh at that moment, (laughs) at that moment, that was, (laughs) A hundred percent. And you know, that is part of 
that is part of all trauma, whether it's grief, whether it's, uh, you know, some other type of trauma is going back and I believe and forgiving yourself for your humanity, going back and really forgiving yourself for all the things you wish you had done, things you wish you had said, ways you wish you had done it, that you just in that moment um, couldn't see, understand you know, get to whatever. And so that was um, a part of my healing for sure was being able to go back to that mom of me and say, man, you did the very best you knew how to do in that situation and to forgive myself. And, and obviously we've done lots of And give yourself grace. Again, the grace component. Oh yeah. Giving yourself grace. Yeah. It's like, I think it's, we forget that we, we give grace to others and we forget. And again, like just using that phrase again, that you even said, having tender mercies, even with ourselves, you know, like that tender mercies just sounds kind of like those little, yeah, those little blessings or little things that come, but, but again, just being tender and grace in having grace with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm, with our 100%. past decisions and with even just our present. Yeah. Wow. So then how did you then express it and how to the youngest, because your youngest was then, uh, my gosh, like so, eight then, if it, right? How, uh, what were the, cause did you share differently with each one yeah. based on their age? Did you say everything the same way? Um, you know, I will tell you, no, I didn't. In the beginning, uh, my oldest son was the only one who really knew the details. My daughter knew a fair amount because um, one of the other challenges to um, my own grieving process in the early days, the first few months, was that I was also homeschooling my daughter. So my oldest was wanted mm-hmm. to be homeschooled from uh, middle school on. And it was a, anyway, so because I'm an entrepreneur and have been able to work from home all these years, I was able to do that, which was amazing. But there was a massive caveat about having her there while I was grieving because there is this part of you that doesn't want to show all of the parts. You don't want to scare your children. It's, it was rough and having her there. So she experienced a lot because I was there with her during the day. So it wasn't like, okay, the kids are off to school and now I can just be, and I can just let this all out. I yeah. always had. Let me just dig often, in my cave. Yeah. Let me yeah. go in my. Yeah. Uh, you can't. Quit and it. I did you a fair amount of that, yeah. but there was yeah. some guardedness that had to be there for yes. rightfully so. So there was a lot that she knew, but didn't really want to process at the time, which was understandable. All four of my kids handled it. They just, they were so different. Their relationship with my brother was different. They were a different age. Um, their feelings Ages. around it were very yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the challenge of grieving at all is that everybody grieves, as you know, so differently, even members Mm -hmm. of the same family experiencing the same grief or the same trauma. In my opinion, it has a lot to do with kind of the work we've already done, um, in some ways. So somebody who's maybe done a lot of work might handle it differently than somebody who, um, hasn't done as much work with themselves, right. Um, in terms of maybe handling past traumas or past issues? Have they resolved those? Were they able to um, have some healing around those? And I feel like just like anything else, the more unhealed parts we bring to anything, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a grieving, whether that's whatever, then there's a lot to sort out, right? And so um, I'd always been on a self-development path. Honestly, I was this weird, nerdy teenager person that loved self-development <laughs> from the time I was really young. I'm not even joking. It's like so weird when I think about my own children, if they were like me, I would think that was probably 
<laughs> a little interesting. You were listening to cassette cassette You don't tapes. even know. Oh my gosh. I had the tapes. I had the books. I just loved this idea that we, I came out of a lot of turmoil, right? As a child and a teenager, and then into my young adulthood with my um, family. And so I just always loved this idea that I could do it differently. I love this idea mm. that I could become better. I love this idea that I could help other people do that also, that we weren't stagnant in our um, growth. We could completely evolve. And so I just have always been enamored with that notion of um, being able to evolve. And so anyway, the reason I bring that up is because then I now I'm dealing with a child and going, they're all at different places. They're at different developments. What, what, how do you meet the need of what they need? What's enough? What's not, you know, what's not enough. And so that was really challenging, I will say, to grapple with. Um, and so they all got little bits and pieces. Some truly, my daughter just expressed it, didn't really want to know a lot. She knew too much for herself. And I really respected that. Um, and my youngest son was pretty young, honestly. And he, um, was born right after we had moved and my brother had also moved and out of state. And so he didn't remember him as much as the mm -hmm. older kids. And then I have a very tender, sensitive, um, third child who his has been completely different. Um, so where I had some that didn't cry at all, like the emotions completely stopped, I would say for my oldest son, it changed him to his core and still, we're still processing that four years later. Um, whereas my other, my number three, my, my, my second son, mm -hmm. he fell apart and just emotionally, just absolutely. Every time we bring it up, he can't not cry about it even still. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're all just so different. And I think that's the challenge, yes. right? Is, is as a parent, uh, an adult navigating grief with a family member, whether it's in the home or out of the home, then it's like this, um, you're living in parallel universes of I'm supposed to deal with my own grief and help my children navigate theirs. Oh, yeah. And that's, and that, sure that's another topic for somebody who's way more wow. experienced at that than I am. No, well, hello, you had you had to do it with four kids, yeah, you know, yeah. you had to help four it kids. Was a lot. I mean, I had to do it with my two, I had to do it with my two when my mom passed away. But mm -hmm. and even still then also helping them process um, the, the grief, you know, even years later, even with the process yes. of my dad remarrying, you know, because grief kind of came up again to the surface, you know, there's all these different things. And so you're dealing at it, you're kind of, you know, learning to navigate it yourself. And like you mm -hmm. said, also trying to figure out what's the best way for this child based on who this child is. Correct. And then this other child based on who they are. I mean, that's a lot of components to try to think about, you know, and it's a, Wow, that is a lot. Now, let me ask you, because you you mentioned, you know, faith, you mentioned personal development. Mm -hmm. um, were those all these factors and, of course, all these other life experiences you'd had, in, you know, in your past and in your life, all part of the tools that helped you be able to navigate your grief and still be able to navigate your grief right now. Cause as we know, it doesn't really end. It just kind of starts, you know, kind of changing and transforming as it absolutely. goes on. But yeah, absolutely. What, what have been some of those tools yeah. uh, share with us? A million percent. I mean, uh, a million percent. There is no way around that. I remember at some point feeling overwhelming gratitude, um, overwhelming. I mean, just gratitude 
for all of the things I'd been exposed to, whether that was therapy, my faith, energy work, all of it. Uh, gratitude for the people around me, which were such an insane amount of support for me. Um, there were so many people at my brother's funeral that were there for me. They didn't even know my brother. And when I really got my head around that, I remember being up speaking at the funeral. Um, I did the um, the main whatever talk, if you will. I don't even uh, know what it's called the, either. Yeah, the, yeah, whatever. The, the speech. The speech. I, wrote, I don't know I what it's called. I wrote the eulogy. <laughs> my family was really struggling yes. around this time. My, my siblings and parents, uh, rightfully so. And I had played quite a role most of my life um, because I had a single mother of kind of being the other mother, if you will, just really helping, being her helper. Okay. And so it wasn't unusual for me to, when everybody was falling apart to say, okay, well, what, how can I help, you know, smooth this mm -hmm. over? And so I wrote the eulogy, which my, my one other brother delivered, um, because he wasn't sure he could write it, which was fine. So I wrote it. And then I also delivered the thing, but I do remember standing at the pulpit and having all these people there and noticing while I'm talking, you know, how we can do all these different things at one time. It is occurring <laughs> to me that there were so many people sitting there who didn't know my brother, who literally came to support me. So that was a huge mm. tender mercy that I acknowledged it. I was aware of it, but also that um, I was able to really witness that and experience that. And that was a huge blessing to me during that time still is of course, but definitely during that time. And so those relationships that I had forged when those, those people came out to really support me, I realized that's really the, the benefit, the beauty of the funeral is obviously really more for us. Right. Um, it's not really yes, for yeah. our deceased family members. It's really for us yeah. and that support where people can come. In our own process. Yeah. And in our own process. Of yes, grief, yeah. absolutely. And so I really mm -hmm. experienced that. But I think that all of the work that I had done, there was a point in time when I really experienced that for myself and really acknowledged the fact that I was so grateful over all the years to have been exposed to so many incredible um, tools. Uh, and people and my faith and prayer and my faith community that now it was like, oh, you've been storing up these tools for all these years. And now look at all these tools you have in your toolbox to be able to um, navigate this. And it was such mm -hmm. a blessing to me. Yeah, I can't even imagine um, doing it without those tools that I had. So the tool, well, one, you had the support system of friends and family, you had then your faith, you had the mm -hmm. personal growth and development and all these other aspects mm -hmm. of everything that, in, you know, the power of prayer, all these things you could tap into in this moment that maybe, like you said, you had had them in your back pocket and not mm -hmm. all of them had needed to be used all at once. And then in this moment, you were able to kind of tap into them depending on what it is you needed. Um Oh, that, I, is, that is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I was so lucky. I truly, I felt so lucky about two days, a day or two after my brother passed. It was in that first few days where it's all the craziness. And, um, I had to call our really dear family friend who was very close to me my whole life. Um, she helped our family of six children navigate uh, my parents' divorce because we were all fairly youngish. I was 11-ish uh, when my parents divorced. And so she's been with me my whole life. She's always been just a, a huge source of strength for me. And she was also very, very close to my brother. They'd even uh, been in business together. And I, I had to call her. I wasn't sure if anybody had called her and I felt like I needed to tell her. And so I had called her and she was one of the first people in my life from such a young age um, 
uh, to work with me, if you will, as a therapist. And I asked her in this very vulnerable, almost parent-child relationship sort of, right? She's always been like this other mother figure for me, a spiritual figure. And I remember asking her, can you work with me? I was so desperate for relief, for help, for guidance, for all of those things. And she said, I am way too close to this. I mean, she was grieving on the phone as if she was his mother. I mean, those... Uh. Those that moaning, morning sound, those those that type of crying is what came out when we were speaking, and it was very painful. And she had enough wherewithal to say, "I am way too close to the situation, but I have somebody who can step in in this situation." And it ended up being a huge blessing. I worked with him from the first. I think it took a less than a week to get in. He kind of put me to the front of his uh, line, if you will, and I worked with him for about a year and a half regularly. Actually, it was very regularly. And, um, so I had a lot of help and support navigating this. I, I did not do this alone. It's just like in a birth, there's people there to help guide and support and comfort and all of those things. And I do feel like grieving is exactly like that. I do a lot of analogies with, with birth and grief, you know, birth you can't, and death. Yeah. Yeah, or sorry, birth and death, because you don't get to decide, you know, even the most controlled quote unquote births. And maybe some of us have had those. And I've also had the train wreck ones that were totally felt out of control. And it's like that, you know, it's a portal for so many things to come out. And it isn't just the grieving that comes out. There's goodness that comes out. There's lessons that come out. Yes. There's gratitudes, there's awarenesses, there's a depth to your absolute soul, your whole mm. being that is birthed out of such tragedy oh, always. Oof. And I okay. felt that, that but I had a lot like, of help. Like I have to take a, I'm going to, I'm just so you don't, I'm going to tell you right now that I, I have goosebumps. So I'm going to take a picture so I could send them to you because mm. you, you have <laughs> what you just said about all those different aspects of everything that is birthed from that mm. experience. Mm. Whoa, that, that is just so, so true. I want to go back to the fact that you reached out to get help. So mm -hmm. therapy had been a part of your life because that's one of the things sometimes people don't One, There's even taboo about that, right? Sometimes of even reaching out for help. No, sometimes people don't know that there's even resources out there. Um, but yeah, the fact of need, you know, knowing that you were going to need mm. help in that process of grieving and reaching out, you know, to first this family friend, but that she then really, you know, uh, mm -hmm. connected you with the person that was, um, was the right one. And that's actually, I want to say to commend her for that. Cause that's also mm. something super important for all of us to learn that we have to know when to know that mm -hmm. we are not the best person to help somebody in that moment. And that fact that she knew that and she mm. said it and then just guided you to the right person mm -hmm. that that that's really commendable on her age, uh, uh, on her side. So for you then, you had already had therapy then before with her and had you ever had therapy with other people in no. your life? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Oh gosh. Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. Lots, okay. lots, lots of healing. Oh. Lots of. <laughs> Not, okay. Different, <laughs> different kinds of. Yeah. Tools. Yeah. Types. Again, part yes. of that. I yes. just, you know, I feel like when I think about, when I think about getting help, you brought up this point of reaching out for help and how it's a little bit taboo. And isn't it so interesting um, the narratives we put on certain things, but not others. So mm -hmm. for example, if I'm, if I'm getting have ready, a headache. <laughs> yes, but if I'm getting ready to have a baby, so it, I liken it to this, if I'm getting ready to have a baby, 
which is, you know, this amazing, beautiful, joyful experience or candy, right? You don't expect me to go out into the wilderness by myself and go through this entire process. It is culturally would be unacceptable and cruel to do that. And yet somehow, sometimes within ourselves, we take it upon ourselves to do those types of things and to not um, invite people in because the hardest part about grief isn't just um, the health necessarily itself because those people, they want to help. They don't know how often. How? And so it's almost like we have to invite them in and say, hey, I need this. Like, I need help. I don't know how to do this. I need your help. And to, and it's almost, oh, is it okay if I even say, it's almost our it's almost our obligation to not abandon ourselves mm. and say, I need you to come to me because they want to come, but they don't know how, like, let's they say friends or family, yes. they don't know how, and it's okay for us to guide them and say, here's what I need from you. You know, just like if you got your quote unquote, you know, nowadays, we didn't really have this when I was having kids, but your birthing team and your birthing plan and you have all of these things around you and you're making preparations, but we don't necessarily view it like that. You know, one, it's vulnerable, mm -hmm. but so is giving birth to a baby is a very vulnerable yes, place to be yeah. and birth and, and, and grief and death is also an incredibly vulnerable. We don't know what's going to come out. We don't know what's going to come up to be healed. We don't know. Uh, we can't control it. You it, it, Sometimes it's mm -hmm. a really messy, hard, painful, ugly process. And it's in that vulnerability, that's where the strength is found. It's that willingness mm. to say, I need you to be here with me. I need to surround myself with the support. I need to seek out that help and support. And I just think that if we could change that, um, if we could change that, maybe that narrative around or that paradigm around death, it, Oh my gosh, if there was ever a time to get a support system around you, it's now. If there was ever yes. a time yes. to dive into maybe some of the shadowy things inside of us, it's now. Like, let's mm -hmm. take this opportunity and really dig in. And I think that is the beauty. That's the gratitude. That's the, that is the beauty that is born out of tragedy, in my opinion, is mm. being able to get to a depth you've never been to before, to get to a vulnerability that you've probably never experienced before, to allow yourself the mercy, the grace to go through all of the ugly, messy, dark parts. Because I promise you, if you're willing to do the work, the light on the other side and during is the most beautiful light you could ever witness in your life, just like birth. And that has been my experience. Um, there was a point of time, about 90-ish days, I don't know exactly, I'd have to go back into my journal and look, but where I just kind of had this feeling of like, Amber, there is enough pain and trauma of a lifetime that you could be in this grief forever. Something occurred to me. There was something that just dawned on me. And I just had this feeling of like, you could stay here forever. Like there would be a million reasons and ex um, valid and reasons. And good excuses. Never move and good forward. excuses. Yeah. Yes. Just, yeah. For some reason, it just occurred to me. And maybe it's because mm -hmm. I've had this affinity for growing most of my life that I just, this kind of occurred to me. And I just felt like I had to almost draw this like, um, 
line in the sand, this like, you know, I don't know what the word is, but just kind of this, this like tangible, spiritual, physical, I don't know, line in the sand, emotional line in the sand of saying, okay, now I need to start this process of, even though I was already kind of moving forward, it was more of a psychological, like I'm now going to really choose to focus forward. And it almost, there was a period of something inside of me that I almost felt like, and I, I'm sure a lot of people who are grieving must go through this, but I almost felt like, am I betraying my own grief? Am I betraying, quote unquote, my brother, if I now claim that I'm going to move on or move forward or grow or whatever word you want to use to articulate that? And I remember whatever the time frame was, I don't know, it's all collapsed in my own mind, but I remember being in my garage and... Um, having a, a, a verbal out loud conversation with my brother, right? Like I, I know other people do this. I'm not the only one yeah, who does yep. this, but just talking here, to you. Here, I here, believe, here, I believe, here. I, I believe would love to say, no, we exist. We move on. We just shut our body. We're going to live on in the spirit realm. I have felt that to my core. You could not convince me otherwise. I've had so many spiritual experiences around even this but I just remember still feeling this very human emotion of like, if I say I'm going to move forward, am I betraying my brother? Like, does he expect mm -hmm. me? Or does he want me? Am I honoring him somehow to stay in this grieving hard place? Which is so weird that we even, you know, connect those because I know my brother, he would want me to have joy, but there still was something I had to reconcile. And I just remember having this very tearful out loud conversation in my garage it's either the closet or the garage <laughs> or the car <laughs> all the places where my, the kids, yeah, yeah. where my kids aren't it's those are my places right <laughs> there's probably the reasons in scripture it talks about going into your closets I'm like uh-huh I understand that and so um but it's like that place where I knew I could just be authentic I guess and I didn't have to curb my emotions so I'm in the garage and I'm having this this Got conversation <laughs> and saying I want you to know you did not die in vain because one of my biggest fears for some reason, because even though we all have light and dark right within us, we all have some skeletons in there. We all have some, mm -hmm. some things and then we have so much immense light. I was just so worried somehow that he, because of the immortalization of the suicide, that this is now your final stamping that he was just going to feel like, this was all in vain. Like, look what I did. I caused all this pain. I've done all these things and like, people are never going to get over it. And I just felt like I maybe needed a little permission and I needed to share with him what was on my heart in that moment. And for me, I just had to do it out loud, I guess. And so I just said to him, I want you to know you did not die in vain. Like this experience has cracked me wide open. It is raw. And I'm so grateful that it is. Because the person that is being born out of this hard tragedy is such a gift to me. And there was something in me that knew that there was so much strength that was going to come out of this. And somehow, like intuitively, even in the pain, even in the, all the grieving. And I just felt like I needed to tell him that. Like, I wanted him to know that even though it was so raw and so painful, that so much goodness was going to be able to be born out of this. And it has been, I mean, 
Is it hard? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's still hard. I literally cried like a week ago out of nowhere. It's been months since I had that experience. I don't remember what triggered it. It was a photo or something I had seen. And all of a sudden I just lost it, allowed myself the grace. I allowed myself the space to grieve that moment, to, to grieve the what should have been, to grieve him not being in my life physically right now, you know, all of these things and allowed myself that grace. But in that moment, it was just such a tender coming together. It was such a culmination of all the help I'd received, all the support I'd received in my life, all the modalities I'd use, whether it was meditation or prayer, my faith community, my my relationship to God. Uh, it was all of it coming together and using those tools and being able to then express to him like, hey, I need to move forward. I know you'd want me to. I just need to let you know that there is goodness that has come out of this tragedy. And there was just something in me that like needed to express that. And it's been a huge, a huge gratitude of mine to even have the awareness in and of itself, because is there pain? Yes. Do I still grieve? Yes. Has it changed massively? Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also allowed me a depth of my soul that when somebody like this, this last week, I knew they'd lost somebody to suicide. I was very gentle and just said, Hey, I saw that you post this. I don't know what happened, but I'm deeply sorry. I've also lost a brother. And she right away, it was like she wanted to tell me she because wanted, it's such yeah. a lonely club. <laughs> because Suicide she, oh. survivor is such a lonely place to be. It's such a lonely club. And it was like she wanted to tell me because I remembered mm. feeling that way. And I and she um, and she just she kind of gushed for just a little bit and then she went quiet and I remembered exactly what that was like. Um and so now I can play a little bit of a supporting role. I'm not necessarily, she's not like a super close friend, but I just, this week was like, I need to send her some flowers. I just remember this lonely club. Like you don't want people in, but you need them in, but you're just grappling. And so it's so important though, that we, that we reach out for help, but the depth of understanding that the gifts that were born, then I can go on and help other people. And it's not just with grief. It's with lots of things. Yes. Oh, especially because like what you said, when it cracks you wide open and that vulnerability, that empathy just multiplies. And like you said, with just so many other layers in life and how we can help others because of that experience that we've had. And uh, that was just so beautiful that you were able to express that to him, but also as you're expressing it to him in that conversation, it's more of that confirmation to yourself and giving yourself permission to also move, you know, forward with, with the grief, you know, it doesn't, again, it's not like Absolutely. you're leaving people behind. And what you said was so uh, true. A lot of times that, um, that guilt that people feel of even feeling emotions of happiness and joy, even mm. when they're grieving, it's as if like, wait, if I laugh, does that mean that I don't mm. feel sad anymore when it's so intertwined, mm. you know, and, and it's um, it, because it's just such a complex emotion. It really is a complex emotion. And, and a lot of us and back going back again to how we all grieve so differently, the way we express grief is different. Right. And so some of us, like I know for me, like in our family, we did create a lot of humor around our process and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, that's just one of the ways that for me, that I kind of cope with that. It, that's how I even coped with it through this, 
you know, quarantine too. I just started creating little funny videos, you know, of the, of the stuff that was going to start happening when, because it was kind of like, oh my gosh, because we're definitely grieving, you know, we're in that moment of grief, but all of us are dealing with it a little different. And for me, it just happened to be humor because <laughs> that's Absolutely. just kind of my mechanism. So, wow, Amber, you've just shared just so, so many um, tools and inspirational quotes on my notebook here where I take notes of just of ideas of what's going to be the intro of what's going to be the title. Mm. I'm like, I'm like jotting away. I'm like, no, no, this one, this part would be the intro. No, no, no. Oh, this will be the title. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be like amazing. It's so funny. I was just thinking about throughout this process, I was thinking about a quote from Russell M. Nelson, who is the a president of the LDS church. And one of the things that really guided me when I was feeling like, like, why am I grieving so hard? I had done a lot of work on myself. And there was a quote that he said, I know that sounds crazy, right? We want to put things into boxes and say how much is enough <laughs> yeah. or not yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Or, I just remember yeah, yeah, at yeah. some point <laughs> it would feel overwhelming. And uh, he was quoted as saying, the only way to take sorrow out of death is to take love out of life. Mm. Can and you when repeat I that think, again? Yeah. Can, you, can you say that again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, the only way to take sorrow out of death is to take love out of life. Mm. Because grief has so much to do with love. Yes. And we loved hard. We loved so deep and so hard that the grief was deep and hard. And I had to really honor that, that that was okay. There was so yes. much love. And so there was going to be grief. Um, and that there can also be peace and joy and love and fulfillment and happiness and evolvement also. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't take away from those other emotions just because you're feeling one thing. It doesn't mean that that other emotion's not there yeah, anymore. Yeah. 100%. So that, that is, that is so true. Yeah. Just because in that moment of pain, are you going back again to the birth analogy that you gave in that moment mm. of pain? of birthing this child, you're also feeling so much joy, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like there's pain and there's joy and there's, it's all back right there. And it doesn't, one doesn't take away from the other. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, thank you again so much, Amber. Anything else that you want to share that I did not give you the space to that you'd like to share with the listeners or with me? You know, I don't think so. I just, I, I think if I had any nugget to share with somebody as I've been listening to my own self share this again, it's been a while <laughs> since I've really been this in depth um, with it, is just the importance of allowing yourself the vulnerability to experience what you're experiencing. It's going to be messy. It can be painful. It can be so hard, but we, we live in such a world where everything's through a filter, right? Um, yes. we live through filters, glimpses of people. Yep, yeah, yep. but never before people feel like they need to filter everything. And I think that could really be a challenge when it comes to grieving. Everybody's going to do it in their own way. It's, there's going to be parts that are going to be really messy and you're going to feel incredibly vulnerable, but it's in that vulnerability that you will find your deepest strength is in that vulnerability. Because I think the biggest, um, challenge is if we don't allow ourselves to fully grieve, there can be huge um, backlashes for not allowing mm -hmm. ourselves to process. It's so important to seek out the help that you need. 
um, whether that's from an experienced counselor, a good friend, whatever. I mean, all of it. <laughs> Everything. Say, yeah. All I of the above. Basically all. check all the boxes. Yeah, do exactly. Whatever you need, whatever you need, use it. If you have all those tools, use them all or use one at this moment in life, then use another one at another moment in life. And what you said about being able to express and give yourself time to grieve, it is just so mm. important. I feel like grief is like, if you just tuck it in, tuck it in, tuck it in, tuck it in. It's like a pressure cooker. It is like a pressure cooker that if you do not let some of that steam come out at one point or another, that thing's going to burst. So you better be prepared if you want it to burst. Well, you know, we saw yeah. that. Like- this, is, this is a topic for another podcast, but we saw that in our family. I could go through that Ooh. whole thing of what happened to the people that the different family members who, who didn't allow themselves or accept or whatever, or were ready the for the yeah, resources. Yeah. Oh, we saw everything. We saw it all. Our yeah. Some families really come together. I can't say that that was true for us in that way. Mm-hmm. It was very challenging. Mm-hmm. That was a whole different thing. But but I think it's so important to allow ourselves that vulnerability to know that we are enough and worth it to take whatever yes. time we need, to use whatever resources we need, to reach out to whoever we need to, to be able to do that. Because if you're willing to do the work, the rewards... Uh, the peace, the joy, the hope, the gratitude, the love is so great and so uh, needed. It's yes. so needed. And so it's like, and, and, and by doing that, you're also, especially as a parent, you're also being able to mirror that for them. And, you know, you are showing your children, we are showing our children by example 100%. of what we need to do so that that way they don't keep on following patterns that might have been there in the past in the family, um, you know, of keeping things in. And so I think it's important. And what you said of, uh, and I could totally, totally relate to what you said of being able to ask for what you need for help in what way you need, because everybody's so unique. I, I tend to be that way. Like when I, when somebody is going through something, I'm like, listen, I am not the type of person that will just go ahead and just send you flowers. Cause maybe flowers is not what you need right, right now. Right. So please just tell me what you need. And it sounds like it sounds like not the right thing, but the reality is that I lived it even myself in the birth of our first child. Um, like I, we really didn't want visitors yet at the same, we really just wanted that moment to ourselves. We really yeah. didn't want visitors yet. People thought that that's what we would want and would want to come to the hospital, but we're like, we really didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know, so it's like the same thing goes with, in this moment of grief or birth or whatever, just make sure you're respecting what the person is mm. needing that It's moment. okay to say, it's really, truly not only okay, I think it's important to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what you exactly. need, but I'm here. Please know I'm yes. a safe place for you to express whatever it is you need or want, that I will be that safe place. Because oftentimes what we, we all get on both sides. I've been the silent one and I've been the one that's received the silence. But the truth is if we could all just be evolved enough to say, I love you dearly. I have no idea what you're going through, where you are, but I want you to know I'm here for you. Whatever you need, please tell me I am your safe place. I will move heaven and earth to help you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes to everything because, yeah, and it, that also takes vulnerability on our part, right, mm-hmm. when we're reaching out to be able to help somebody. And and also, again, back again to being 
truthful. We don't have to make up mm-hmm. any words of condolences where we don't really know even what to say. It's okay to say we do not know what to say and what to 100%. do and how to help that person. It's okay. Well, because, because again, re- not everybody sorry. needs the same thing either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's received is the vulnerability. So when, yes. when I say to somebody, I don't know, I, I am deeply sorry that you're hurting. I would never say I know what that feels like. Even another suicide survivor, I would never say that mm-hmm. uh, because I know mm-hmm. every experience in life in general is just it's so unique. Yeah. But just the uh, just being authentic, people receive yeah. that with so much love because they realize you're showing up as yourself. Exactly. Yeah, so. No, I, I I had that conversation with uh, the lady that was the hospice nurse for my mom at mm. the episode I recently released. And she was saying that in some cases, in some of the families, when there's been a passing, she just literally, like there was somebody that she just sat in the living room for three hours, just sat there quietly while they all cried. And that they would turn and they would look at her and they'd say, just thank you. That's just her presence mm-hmm. there was what they needed. She didn't have any words to say. Mm. All all they needed was knowing that she was there. So the fact of just reaching out and again, like you said, showing that vulnerability and telling people I'm here, just reach out if you need me and checking in periodically, you know, and doing those kind of reach outs to people. That's, uh, I guess us as having gone through that, that (laughs) I guess that we can kind of give that feedback back to our listeners that, um, that that is something you can do when you don't know what to do. Mm. Well, it's the morning with repeat those that again. Yeah. It's just morning it's just with like the those scriptures that yeah. say, yeah, just morning with those that mourn that we're gonna mm. that we're gonna be with those people. And I had plenty of people. I felt very blessed to have plenty of people to stand with me in that in that mourning process. Even though um, the lonely road is you and you. It's you and God. Mm-hmm. It's you and your inner inner soul. Right. It's you and, and sorting all that out. So I'm super grateful mm. for the opportunity to share. I hope it's. You know, help somebody would be super grateful if it could help one person to just realize they are not alone in their traumatic grieving of anything, but especially of suicide. Thank you so much. And thank you for um, being vulnerable and that this cracking open experience that you had of your brother's passing has just allowed you also that vulnerability to then be able to share with others and reaching out to others that are needing it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Love you, honey. Virtual hug over here. Love you too, sister. (laughs) Bye, dear. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.